It was such a joy to look around as we were singing that last song and to see so many people proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our only hope, that Jesus Christ is our living hope. What a contrast to what the heart naturally does, to what the world naturally does, and that is place our hope in all kinds of other things. One of those things is money. And this morning we come to an awkward sermon out of Malachi, but just like the rest of Scripture, one that is important because, as we will see, it is one that indicates, indeed, where is our hope? What do we trust in? Uh, and where is our heart? So yes, we are in Malachi for the last week, wrapping up the Minor Prophets. I personally am so grateful to the Lord that He led us in the direction of walking through the Minor Prophets over these last months because I myself have found what He has had to say to us through the Prophets to be so significant for the age in which we live. And I trust the Lord for no less this morning as we consider a very important question. If you remember, Malachi is about honoring God and about a people who were dishonoring God because they were believing lies and God calling them toward the truth and therefore toward a heart and a mind that honors the Lord. There's a stink bug on my notes. <laughs> We'll try and get past that distraction. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, believing lies. So they were believing a lie that God doesn't really care about what is going on in my heart because apparently He rewards other things. This is expressed in Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, as, as, they, as the prophet writes out the lie just in very clear language. The Lord speaking, you have said it is futile to serve God. It is not worth serving God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And so measuring life by the standards of personal blessing, they look around them and they see the wicked prospering, they see the arrogant getting ahead, and they see no personal value or benefit in devoting their heart to the Lord and in following Him. So why do it? And of course, God speaks against this lie because what matters most is our heart's position toward Him. And what we will see is that using all of our resources and all of our being to honor Him brings great reward, both in this life and in the kingdom to come. That's the truth to believe. Using all of our resources, everything that the Lord has given us to honor Him brings great reward 
in this life and in the kingdom to come. In starting out with this section in Malachi 3, we see that the people believing this lie are dishonoring God with their finances. Let's look again. Malachi 3, going back a few verses, reading 6 through 9. I, the Lord, do not change, and so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But, we, but you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You were under a curse, your whole nation, because you were robbing me. It's actually a remarkable passage. It takes a turn that we wouldn't expect. God is speaking to and rebuking the nation for turning away from him, for turning away from his decrees, and is calling the people to turn back to him in repentance. And they ask, what are you talking about? What are the ways that we're not obeying you? What are you calling us to repent of? And he could say all kinds of things here, couldn't he? I mean, if I were God, which we're all glad I'm not, but we put ourselves in his shoes sometimes and think we know best, right? And if the people of Israel said to me, how is it that we're not following you? How is it that we're dishonoring you? My answer would be about injustice in the land. My answer would be about idolatry. My answer would be about the lack of mercy. Some of the big themes that we've seen all throughout the minor prophets. Here somebody is standing before God saying, how? How is it that I'm not obeying you, that I'm not following, that I'm not pleasing you? And God skips past what we might think are the big issues and goes to money. You're robbing me by not giving your tithes and your offerings. What's going on? Well, first of all, God is communicating that money is important to him. He's talked about the other stuff, but at this point, he zooms in on that one particular issue. And I think the reason that he's doing that is because of all the stuff that we talked about, this is one issue that the people of Israel could measure in very objective terms. It gets down to the nitty-gritty. You can look at the numbers and make an evaluation. It's really hard to weigh justice and to count up mercy and to see where you're falling short. So God cuts to a very concrete, day-to-day, daily issue that you can measure and respond to and says, even in this thing, going past those large issues of the heart, let's talk about one small issue, but one in which you can really make a concrete measurement. You are falling short. You are dishonoring me. But it is actually not a minor issue because it is a way to measure the heart. All throughout the Minor Prophets and all throughout Malachi, God is leading the people deeper than a surface issue. 
Are you following the Sabbath? Are you obeying these decrees? Leading them to what is going on inside their heart. And he has shown that they are giving God second best. They are giving God something short of what he is worthy. We saw that already in chapter 1. I don't know if you remember, it's been quite a few weeks. But the people were bringing offerings of deformed or second-class animals. They were keeping the best for themselves because that's the way that they could make the most profit. But they were kind of obeying the surface commandment by at least bringing something as an offering. But it was second best. And God said, that points to a heart that is not honoring me above all. And he continues on that theme in this passage, using the issue of money to demonstrate what is going on in the heart. And therefore, even that issue does matter to him. In this issue of honoring God with finances, God then points out that the people are actually robbing him. At this point, it's worth talking a little bit about tithes and offerings in the Old Testament because God speaks very concretely about the fact that they are not fulfilling their obligation to him in the matter of giving. There's a couple of passages that help us see that these are two different matters, but they are both important. Actually, the question of tithing is found throughout the Old Testament, but a great example would be Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. First of all, verse 22, the Lord telling the people of Israel, be sure to set aside a tenth, that's the root of the word tithe, tenth, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Really simple, very objective Again, you can measure it. Is it adequate? Is it meeting the law? Or is it falling short? There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no gray area. A tenth is a tenth. And God says, set this aside for him. That's the command that he gives, him, gives them. But I think we have this perspective that they were just kind of dropping it in some kind of bucket and never saw it again, we don't really understand how that was used. And the amazing thing about this passage in Deuteronomy is that it helps us to see that the tithe command that God was giving the people was for their own benefit. Continuing in Deuteronomy chapter 14, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This tithe was about a celebration. Take the tithe to the temple, the place that I will establish, and have a great big party together in which you honor the Lord and His blessing upon you, in which you acknowledge that this came from Him, and in which you enjoy the fellowship of all the people together. It was a celebration. They brought their tithe to a celebration that they all participated in together. Then he goes on. 
if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and can't carry your tithe, too much grain for me to carry 100 miles to the temple for the celebration. So if you've been blessed and can't carry it because the place where the Lord will, God uh, will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. That's a little bit more practical for most of us. Now, I like it when somebody brings in some tomatoes or some eggplants or something like that and says, hey, Tom, God bless your garden. Here, you can have some of this. But for most of us, that's not the form it takes place. God gives us silver, and so giving takes place in that form which is described for us here. But, 26, use the silver to buy whatever you like cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So the tithe was something that served for the benefit of the people as together they gave and as together they enjoyed the celebration, they enjoyed the benefit. Kind of to narrow it down, to state it in, in some bullet points, this tithe was used as part of a celebration, as part of body life for the people of the Lord. It was also used for the support of those who were serving he mentioned at the very end, don't forget about the Levites. And then we see in other places that it was used for helping the poor. On top of that, there were offerings. Great example of this. Beyond the tithe, people giving for a special purpose. First Chronicles chapter 29, when they are gathering for the temple, there is a great offering. 1 Chronicles 29, 6. Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents. It's immeasurable of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel of the, uh, the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given willingly and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And so they had a special project going on, building the temple. They took up an abundant offering towards that. And then again, through the Old Testament, there's all kinds of circumstances in which people brought free will offerings in order to acknowledge the blessing of the Lord. That is a long description of commands that are just briefly mentioned here in Malachi chapter 3, but what's going on behind those commands is giving to the Lord for the benefit of the entire congregation of the people, as well as uh, a, an acknowledgement of His blessing on them. And God is saying, by not bringing those tithes and offerings, you, the people of Israel, are robbing me. You are demonstrating indifference towards the law. You are demonstrating indifference towards the temple. And therefore, you are demonstrating your indifference towards the Lord. 
Now, we all know you can't actually rob God. God owns everything. But what's happening is in their hearts, they are keeping back from the Lord because they feel like the Lord is keeping back from them. And as a result, they're experiencing the consequences. They're missing out on the blessings. The people are saying, why aren't we blessed? Why aren't we having these times of restoration, this time of joy? Why is it that, that the land is not producing as God has promised? We're going to read about that a little later. Why is it that pestilence settles among us? And God says, you are missing out on these blessings. You are experiencing covenant curses. All the things that I said will happen to you if you do not keep my commands, if you do not follow me wholeheartedly. This is what you are living through because you are not honoring me in your heart and with your giving. And then he presents them with a giving challenge. Verse 10, Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's interesting that God says, test me in this. One of the things we learn through Scripture is don't test the Lord, right? Even Jesus said, do not test the Lord your God. Those testings are people presenting a challenge before God. I don't think you're going to be faithful to your word. How are you going to come through for me? And God rebukes that sort of testing. Here, on the other hand, is an invitation on God's part for people who are doubting, for people who are falling short, to step up on their side of the obligation and see the Lord's response. God invites us, God challenges us to take steps of faith in a variety of areas of our life. He is seeking hearts that will honor him above all in every area. And so he lays a challenge before us. Take that step of faith. Do that thing that you have been doubting but I have been making promises about, and just see how I will respond. So he lays before them a challenge and tells them, promises them, a pouring out of covenant blessing on his people if they will respond in faith. And that's a very concrete blessing. The Lord's promises to the people of Israel had to do with land, had to do with abundance, 
had to do with these very physical, measurable, material blessings. For us, some things are the same and some things are a little bit different. So let's talk about Malachi 3 for us today and what's the same and what might be different. One thing that's the same is that money is important to God because it reveals our heart. Probably the most famous passage that has to do with that is when Jesus talks about where our treasures are. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and dust corrupt or thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Why? Is it because of treasure? No, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. God sees our relationship with our treasure as a reflection of where our own heart is. If all of our treasure, if all of these resources are focused on the physical world around us, it tells us where our heart is. If our use of our resources is to honor God, seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, that also says something about where our heart is. I just did a quick search on Google. I thought, I bet there are things like this out there. And my search words were, checkbook reflects values. And found a website, it's not a Christian website at all, just a financial advice website, looked like a pretty good, pretty good site. And let me tell you this paragraph, the author writing. If I wanted to check your credit worthiness, I'd look at your balance sheet and your history of paying your debts. If I wanted to know your values, I'd look at your calendar and your checkbook. How come? Well, the term values reflects core beliefs and convictions that drive decisions. Our values are revealed not by what we say, but by what we do. The simple fact is time and money are limited resources that can materially affect the quality of our lives. So how we spend them reveals what's important to us. We tend to think of our values in the grand context of our deepest moral convictions. Ultimately, though, it's how we prioritize competing values that defines us. And boy, that last one, just out there in the secular world, cuts to the heart. If I were to ask anybody, and if you were to ask me, what are the most important things in your life? What do you really value? The kingdom of God, right? We, we measure our hearts, we measure our intentions in words and in good feelings and in the things that, that we write down as what's most important. But when it comes down to it, how we spend our time and how we spend our money really reflects what's important to us. Even out there in the world, that is recognized all the more for a people of God 
who follow the Word of God, when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, he was exactly right. And that's why money is important. Not because God needs money, but because it shows what we value and where our heart is. Something that is different, though, between our day and Malachi's day is that giving is a matter of grace, not the law. Giving is a matter of grace, not a matter of law. We understand that everything belongs to God and is to be used for His glory. One great example, a different line, but the same type of thinking, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, you were not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. In that particular instance, he's talking about sexual sin and says, you're not your own, you were bought at a price, honor God with your body. But you could take that phrase and plug it into any of the other conversations that we have, and it still holds true. You are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your spiritual gifts. You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your time. You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your finances. Everything belongs to Him and is to be used for His glory because, not a debt, but because of grace. You were bought with a price. It takes us right back to the cross. While we were still sinners, before we valued God, before we had any desire to pursue Him, when we were set in our own ways, Jesus laid down His life. When we had the ultimate debt to pay, Jesus took it upon Himself and paid our debt of sin and made us righteous before the Father. When we couldn't do anything to win favor before God, Jesus, the righteous Son of God, in whom the Father was well pleased, died in our place to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf so that now He can look at us and see us as redeemed, see us as justified, see us as sanctified, adopted as his children, even glorified in his presence. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid every bit of the price, all of the debt. And therefore, we belong to him and everything that we have in response to his grace. But one of the things we see, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and speaking of the ministry of the elders, the Apostle Paul says, the elders who devote their time to the ministry of the church should be supported as they carry out that ministry. So tithes, offerings, whatever you might term it, going to support the ministry of the church. You also see um, in Acts chapter 4, the offerings of the church family going to the support of the church family, of the needy, of the poor among them. So the congregation giving of God's blessing for the blessing of each other. You also see 
uh, offerings being given for the work of the ministry around the world. Paul talks about the Jerusalem offering. He's going to all of these churches in the non-Jewish world, and he's taking up an offering for Jerusalem. You also see certain churches giving to support Paul while he is on missionary ministry in other cities. So a lot of the same idea is coming through in the New Testament in the pattern of the life of God's family. And the principle in every one of those activities is not Weigh out 10% because the other 90% is yours. The principle is each one should give according to his ability as God has laid on his heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, a verse that is given in the context of the Jerusalem offering. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the test of the heart. In recognition of what it means to be part of the body of Christ and part of the kingdom of God, will I weigh out in my heart what I can do in this regard and entrust that to the Lord? In that test of the heart, Jesus reminds us, Luke chapter 12, not to be rich towards ourselves and poor towards God, giving him what's left over. James reminds us not to focus on spending what we get on our own pleasure, but rather giving from our heart as a matter of response to his grace. Another thing that's different from Malachi's day is that we already have the blessings and are giving in response to it. In Malachi chapter 3, the Lord says, Obey and see if I can pour out the blessings. Well, we're about to enter a series on the book of Ephesians. We'll do that after Missions Festival. Ephesians chapter 1, we could probably spend three months there. I don't think we will. But the apostle just lays out every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus. And guess what? Ephesians 1, 1 doesn't say, make sure you give your tithes and offerings, and then you have all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. It's already a fact. If you are in Christ, then adoption and redemption, and forgiveness, and sealing of the Holy Spirit. That guarantee, it's already yours, because Jesus purchased it for you. We already have life to the full, as Jesus described in the book of John. And here, by the way, is a good time to speak out against the prosperity gospel that is proclaimed on TVs and radios and from some pulpits. The life to the full that Jesus promises is not a life of health and material blessing. In fact, Jesus promises in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because he has overcome the world. We have life to the full 
as children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the fellowship of the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who gives love and joy and peace and who overflows abundantly to those around us. That's the full life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't depend upon whether you're giving tithes and offerings. It's already yours. We get the promises first and get to respond to His grace by giving everything back to Him. But there is more. There are treasures in heaven. There is reward to come. Jesus does promise that those who lay aside material blessings in this world will receive ten a hundredfold in the kingdom to come. We don't understand the nature of all of those rewards, but we understand that the promise is true and we can lean on it. It's worth laying up treasures in heaven because He rewards those who are faithful in following Him. One other thing that's still the same is that giving is a faith challenge. It can be hard to give when I don't know where it's coming from. I had somebody ask me once, they'd been out of work for a while, starting to get a salary. Should I tithe or should I pay off my debts? That's a tough question. And the answer is yes. But that's a step of faith, because I don't know when I'm going to lose my job. I don't know when I'm going to be confronted with an unexpected expense. I don't know what needs my own family is going to have down the road. And God still challenges us to take a step of faith in giving. So, how? How can I be someone who is generous towards the Lord, even as the Lord has been generous towards me? First thing I would encourage you to do is actually take some time to study the scriptures that are involved. We touched on so much today. Go back and look at Luke chapter 12. In fact, if you really want to, you can find a sermon series from June of 2015 or 2016, something like that. Four sermons out of Luke chapter 12. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about the Jerusalem offering and the incredible principles that Paul laid into those chapters about how it is that we can give. Look through the so many things that Jesus says about giving. God's Word sanctifies. God's Word changes our hearts as the Holy Spirit works through it. So spend some time in the Scriptures doing a serious, serious study about our treasures. Second, pray. Pray for a heart that is given to the Lord in this matter. As in every other area of our life, we all fall short in so many ways. Spend time before the Lord offering the heart because the heart is at the root of the issue. Spend some time 
offering our hearts to the Lord. Ask him about the question of ability and need. Third, very practical, but I believe it's true. Start from the top, not what's left over. We've kind of become accustomed to the idea that the government gets its cut before we ever see our paycheck. For some reason, it doesn't irk us, although it actually really irks me every time. But it's the way it goes. Is it that hard to get used to the idea that God gets his part before I ever see the paycheck? Set up the bill pay, set up the recurring gift, whatever it is, write it off, not in the sense of, well, that's gone, but in the sense of that's given, and that is a given in my life. And now I'm going to work through the budget questions. If we give what's left over, it says something about our heart. And it also, in very practical terms, often means that we don't give anything at all. Next, let's recognize and accept our part in the local church. Remember, giving goes beyond the local body, but the local body should be part of our giving. We are part of a family that celebrates together and that serves together. I want to speak very practically in these terms about what's going on uh, in our church right now. Maybe if you follow the numbers, you know that, that giving isn't up to the, the expected pattern to finish the year well. Now, that's actually okay this year because for very obvious reasons, expenses also are falling far below what is normally anticipated. But it presents something for, of a challenge for us in hiring. Do you hire according to current patterns or do you hire according to need? And of course, you hire according to need. You hire according to what God has laid before us as the ministries of the church. And then you trust the Lord which we do. And so we are praying and we are going to do the right things and we are going to follow the Lord down the road He is leading us and we are looking to the Lord to provide. He's done so for 50 years. And we trust Him to continue to do so in our next steps. Now somebody might ask the question, if we pick up our giving, we might end up this year with a great big reserve. What's going to happen with that? I'm glad you asked. First of all, we like to have, we have set as a goal, uh, two to three months in reserve so that we can handle the fluctuations in the giving year. And we have been below that two to three months. I think we're at 1.9 months right now. Be wonderful to finish this year back up at that three months in reserve. 
Second, we have seen the blessing of stewardship in laying aside money for capital expenses. We have not needed to run giving campaigns when we were experiencing a failure in our sound system. Uh, we are now able to replace our less than adequate lights without running a giving campaign because we have identified needs ahead of time and saved towards those needs. And we need to build up our capital expense fund as a practice of stewardship. Third, let's pay off this building this year. Do you know we're down to $150,000 of debt on this building? Huge strides have been made. We are grateful to the Lord and grateful to those who are give and giving. And we have an opportunity this year to polish that off so we can free up resources for, for these next steps that the Lord is giving us. I guess what I want to say is if we end up with some kind of surplus, it's not going towards big bonuses or trips to Hawaii. In fact, one of the things that you all expressed in the peak survey, the highest area of, uh, of positive response was in financial stewardship. And we're going to keep that up. We're going to keep stewarding well. We're going to keep reporting well so that folks know how, in a very transparent way, how uh, the finances are being used. And we're going to keep evaluating our practices to make them better and better as stewards of the things that the Lord is giving us. So all of that is part of recognizing and accepting our part in the life of the local church. Next thing, we're about to have Missions Festival. God has blessed us with an incredible number of missionaries, a disproportionately high number of missionaries who've gone from our church family around the world. Let's keep supporting them well, not just adequately, but well as the good news of the kingdom is going around the world. We'll be hearing more about that in Missions Festival. And then the last little bit of advice, keep giving even when it hurts. Sometimes it does hurt. God doesn't call us to step back, but rather to press forward in faith. Because the heart that honors Him in every circumstance is pleasing to Him and gives Him glory. And that, after all, is our goal, to give glory to God in every area of our life, and then to receive his continued blessing as he has promised. Let's pray. Lord, you have been so generous towards us. And the first thing that our minds often go to is material blessing. There has never been a people that has lived in such blessing as we live. And we don't even know why. We can't explain why. We do not deserve what you've given, but we acknowledge that it comes from you, and we thank you. But really, when we speak of your abundance towards us, It goes far beyond things that we can see and touch and count. Thank you 
for your abundance in Christ. Thank you for grace for each day, no matter what circumstances we face. Because for some of us, they're hard circumstances. But you promise to give us what we need for each day. And you also promise enough grace for tomorrow. Thank you for your abundance of salvation in Christ. Oh Lord, we do not deserve to be yours. We deserve condemnation and judgment for our sin. But instead you have given us the riches of redemption and forgiveness and adoption as your children and a future and a hope in Christ. Thank you. Give us hearts that respond, not out of obligation, but out of grace and out of love and a desire to see your glory magnified, even as Malachi promised that the nations would look and see and give you glory. In Jesus' name.